Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Dennis, Pastor Matt. Good to be in the house of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. I sense you sense the presence of our living God in our midst. He is good. He is great and greatly to be praised. Two quick announcements by way of reminder. We have the last two Sundays of this month to equip you with resources for on the 31st of this month, it is All Hallows Eve. That has been now changed to Halloween. There'll be lots of kids coming up to doors, knocking, looking for Snicker bars, Butterfingers, M&Ms, Milkshake, no, not milkshake. We want to equip you with gospel tracks that you can also be adding into their little sacks. I remember as a child coming home and spilling my candy out all over the kitchen table. And there were oftentimes a number of gospel tracks in there. And so as a child, I remember reading through those. Who knew that God was planting seed that would be falling on soil that in a proper time, a harvest would be reaped? And at 19 years old, long after I was trick-or-treating, I was still eating candy, but <laughs> longer after my trick-or-treat days, God did a miraculous work in saving my soul. So we want to equip you so when you open your doors and you smile at these loving faces, looking up to you in their little costumes and saying trick-or-treat, that you might give them a piece of candy, that you might give them the good seed of life. Amen? So beginning next Sunday, right out at the table out here, we'll have about 700 tracks, not 700 different ones, but about 700 total or so, uh, for you to take some of those and have those available for the kids that will come to your door. Does that sound like a good plan? Does that sound like a good plan? Sounds like a good plan. Also want to let you know that the last Sunday of this month is the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. It was the Reformation that was a rediscovery of the Word of God and the directing of people to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we celebrate the Reformation because we are part of it. It is the birth of the Protestant church of which we are a part. And so it's exciting, and we want to continue to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. And with that said, I have, we have with us this morning personal friends of my wife's mine, and they're your personal friends as well. We've known Doug and my and Angela Green for 33 years. 33 years. Doug and I have a phenomenal story, and it will be an opportunity for you to hear more of their story this morning. They're going to share for about 10 minutes in the service, but I know just Doug is going to be coming up, so I'm going to ask Mai and Angela, will the two of you please stand, and we want to just thank you for your work and your missionary work. Amen. The first time I met Mai, I, I must admit, uh, I fell in love with Mai for several reasons. Number one, she absolutely makes the most amazing spring rolls. 
And I'm telling you, when spring rolls are put out, I don't miss them very much. <laughs> I have multiple trips. Anyway, uh, Doug and Mai and Angela have a ministry in the nation of Vietnam. It is a closed nation. It's a closed nation. And what they do in many ways is a covert operation. They are both in an undercover missionary way, they are flagrant about getting the gospel out. And I wanna ask, Doug, will you come at this time and will you share with us what God is doing through your ministry and the mission work in Vietnam? Will you give a warm hillside welcome as Doug and Mai make their way? Praise God, it's a blessing to be here. Uh, first, before I even start on my ministry of Jesus in Vietnam, I want to thank the men that show up every Wednesday morning at Denny's Restaurant um, down here off of 205, and uh, it's wonderful. When I come home from Vietnam, I am hungry for men's fellowship and fellowship with other people, too, and, and uh, they uh, really do a wonderful thing. Iron sharpens iron, and I miss that when I'm gone, and I'm so hungry for it when I get back. And I love what your church is doing in the community. My daughter works for the Clackamas County School District, and she, she—I uh, she, guess she was helped introduce this place to you guys. And I'm so thankful for that. God, it's a small family, isn't it? It really is. The family of God is a small family. Well, at the, our church where we fellowship in uh, Tualatin, I started with a song. Um, it was. Uh, about, uh, it had to do with my girl. So, I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. And when it's cold outside, I've got the month of May. I guess you say, what can make me feel this way? My girl, my girl, my girl. I'm talking about my girl. Stand up, my, my girl. Woo! Hold up on that slide, dear. Thank you, my. See, this is Mai's ministry of Jesus in Vietnam, and her sister and I are her assistants. God delivered this to her in her lap. It's, God delivered this to her in her lap. It's not something that we planned. We went to Vietnam with the idea as Christians to share the love of Jesus with her family, her 11 brothers and sisters. We've been there since 1990 till this year, 27 years going back. I retired from the Portland Fire Bureau in 2004, after that, we could stay up till nine months and then come back home. I have grandchildren and family, so I want to see them too. But it started out small. Think small. Remember Think Small the other day? Think small, but it got bigger, and God let it. Mai was, uh, hold up on the slides, okay? Mai was uh, eight years old when her family put her into another home for three years to pay her alcoholic father's debt back. He owed so much money he couldn't pay it, so she had to go and work in another family's house for three years. Her father was an alcoholic, demon-possessed. He actually fought real demons. The family couldn't see him, but he did. And he would come home bloodied, all bloodied. And then the next day, want to know what happened to him. And then the family had to tell him. So she was raised that way, and so was Angela. They're 27 years apart, but both of them grew up with the same alcoholic, demon-possessed father who beat them and treated them terribly. But while Maya was at this other home, 
for uh, that three years. It was a Christian family. They actually had mercy for her. Their eight-year-old daughter had just died. And so my sat at the same place at the table as they did, as the other girl did. And they treated her wonderfully and loved on her. They were a Christian family. And uh, God is so good. You'll see later with one of the slides how good he is concerning that family. So Mai was baptized in the uh, river at the age of 10 in the river in Vietnam. She had to go back to live with her family again. Her alcoholic father treated her bad again. At age 17, she joined the military, the South military. And she was in an all-female... <laughs> Boom! We don't have any sound effects, okay? Uh, this is military, I know. But we don't need that. Thanks. Ooh, that scared me. Uh, her 32-woman platoon was overrun by communists. And they were in a bog, maybe just as big as this, with water. All but two women died. The communists came through with bayonets and made sure they were all dead. But Maya and this other girl were laying underwater, as still as they could, breathing through reeds. Maya had been shot in the foot. Two days later, waving clothes, an American helicopter flew over and saw them. They were medevac to an American field hospital in Nha Trang. Nha Trang is like the Honolulu today of Vietnam. It's beautiful. She has fought, you can go to the next slide, she has fought hand-to-hand -hand twice, hand-to-hand -hand combat twice. Now that might seem strange to you because she's only comes up to here on me. But uh, one time I was at her house, and there was an air raid. Sirens going off and bullets flying through the air. She threw me on the floor and dove on top of me. I looked at her. I said, honey, something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> but they, really, they didn't want a dead American in their, fam in their house the next morning when the whole thing was over. How do you explain a dead American in your house? That would have been bad news. So she... Uh, has a bitterness. My had a horrible bitterness when she came to America in 1970. She weighed 69 pounds when she stood on our doorstep in 1970. She's, she's healthy now, but she was poor. And uh, let's go. There's my son. He was born in Vietnam. So you see, I was supposed to be there for one year, but I ended up being there three years. Things happen in life. And Vietnam is an exciting and wonderful and beautiful place. I mean, if you go there, you'll love it. Uh, tourism is just expanding like crazy over there. What a better place could you find to send a 19-year-old uh, to go into the world? It's beautiful. The people are interesting. The culture is fascinating. This is our home in West Lynn, Oregon. We had a private backyard. Maya was very sad, very, very sad. And she would be lonely, missing her family, not knowing if they made it through the war after Ho Chi Minh and the Vietnam. Uh, the Viet Cong and the uh, North Vietnamese took over the whole country in 75. So she didn't know if her family was alive. We waited five years to find out, and she was really lonely. She didn't have very many friends that lived in West Lynn. I'd be at the fire station for two, three, four days at a time sometime, and she would be very sad. The kids are gone, school. All, all she had was a puppy dog to take care of her. She's in the backyard praying, and two angels descend in our backyard. It's very private. No one can see this. And they comforted Maya and told her that she would soon have good news. And this is the good news right here. Like, let's go back one if you can. Like water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a faraway land. 
This is her family, and Angela, who's sitting next to her, is second from the left. Uh, they were poor, and we sent packages every year from 1980 to 1990. We sent big care packages. This may sound strange to you, but one of the packages was different than all the others we sent for that 10 years. We went through the grocery store, and we bought case after case of Salem cigarettes, menthol. I know this is a church, and I don't smoke, and I don't propose that any of you start it. But her father smoked, and those cigarettes, we also bought great big bottles of aspirin, huge bottles of aspirin. And we had them a full cart, and we came up to the counter, and the lady looks down at that. What, 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 what are you going to do with these? Well, we're going to smoke all of these and then take all of those. <laughs> and so when we just left. She never did figure it out. But those things can be used or traded or sold. That's bartering material. And it helped them for that uh, 10 years from 1980 to 1990 to help them to survive. In 1990, we came and we shared the gospel with her family. Most of her 11 brothers and sisters and her father and mother were saved. And uh, he got saved. This is the one that was alcoholic and demon-possessed. And he got saved and baptized in 1991. Uh, he just, this last year, passed away at 102. For much of the end of his life, he served God and dressed up every Sunday and walked to church. So we praise God for that. And uh, this man, just hold this picture for a second. This man came to the house one day and came into the house and started bawling the family out because my father accepted Jesus as Savior, giving him a real hard time. Well, Angela practically, my sister practically ran him out with a stick. She says, I, I respect you as an elder, but you cannot talk to my father that way. And so she escorted him off the property. And then once he's off the property, he can still sit on the front yard in front of your property. It's legal to do that. And he started throwing dust and rocks. For several hours, he started throwing dust and rocks at my family's house. Cursing. Blue words were coming out of his mouth. Well, guess what, folks? This was about Lunar New Year time, and Vietnamese were starting to get more wealthy and buying motorcycles. And that was a major road in front of their father's house, going back and forth. And right in front of the house, there was a traffic accident with motorcycles all over the place, and seven people died right in front of the house where he was cursing in the same spot. I came out and helped. I was a paramedic in the fire department. I did some triage. There was one Catholic priest who became a paraplegic, but there were seven dead. And uh, it's a long, interesting story, but three of the dead were from his family. He brought a curse on his own family right in front of our family's house. And my and their family stood up for Jesus and didn't deny him. So I just want to let you know that picture. Next picture, please. My has a heart for tribal people. And the, the ethnic Vietnamese are the kin people, K-I-N-H, kin. That's the real Vietnamese people. All the other 53 groups are ethnic groups, different ethnic. And uh, Mai is actually Chinese and Vietnamese, and there's an ethnic name for that too, Kapwa. And so, uh, but she had an, a, a real tenderness towards Wow, I forgot to tell you what happened at the ladies' retreat before she went there. Real quick, this is very important. In 1979, Mai went to a ladies' retreat. She didn't want to go, but so many of my old Sunday school teachers invited her. She finally said, I'll go. 
It was against her will. She called me that night three times or two times, but my phone never rang. She wanted me to drive 70 miles up into the hills and get her out of there. The women were having a scavenger hunt, and you have to find somebody that's got a blue ribbon or somebody that wears this color or something and check off the list. She couldn't do any of those things, and she felt left out. Another woman had a lingerie party, and she's opening up the suitcase and holding up the unmentionables and passing them around, and this was freaking my out. So then she went to her four-woman cabin, and I had three of my Sunday school teachers in there with her. They're all praying for her because they don't know what to do. Mai's laying on her bed, crying and angry, and the two angels that met her in the backyard before came again. Only this time she challenged them because our pastor asked her to challenge this if it ever happens again. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you serve Jesus with all your heart? Is he the Lord of lords and the King of kings? And they answered yes. Then Mai said, then I want to see Jesus. And they disappeared, and Jesus appeared from the waist up. And he reached down into my, and took out that bitterness of the war and the hatred for Vietnamese men. Her father was a dictator, remember? And she hated Vietnamese men. That's why she married me, because I wasn't Vietnamese. And so that gives you a little background. But she loves these people. You can continue the slides. And uh, she started with a pastor who had been in jail a couple of years. He had been in jail for sharing the gospel publicly. And they started sneaking into these villages and sharing the gospel with the tribal people. And from that, they went to an or, uh, a leper colony. They bribed the guard, and they went into the leper colony and started sharing the gospel there. From that, they went up into the mountains where there was a chain gang, men chained together, breaking granite for a hydroelectric project. And they bribed the guard, and they started sharing the gospel with those guys who were chained for two months. And then they go back up north, and another group would come down. And from that... Hang that picture there for a minute. This is a good one. And from that, uh, they started meetings, which we're doing now at 2.30. She's doing now, 2.30 in the morning and 4.30 in the morning. This girl here came at one of the meetings. She's mute. She was mute. She was mute. How do you like that? Praise God. She was sitting in the front row right here next to her mother, and her mother had never heard her say a word. She had good hearing, but she couldn't speak. And right in the, as usual in the, in the meetings, the Holy Spirit just fell on everybody. And she stood up and started going, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And her mother just couldn't believe it. And next day, 90 people from her tribe showed up. That's a one-time event, but there's other events that are different. But that's a one-time event. But it sure excites me even now. God is so good. And uh, another time we had a project 25 women whose husbands were martyred because they had shared the gospel in public and they got in trouble with the government and they were in jail. They either died in jail or they were sent home as they were going to die so they wouldn't die in jail. And uh, for various reasons, they died. And so the church over here gave us $500 to build a home. Just one for 25 women, $500 times 25. So you can figure that out. And uh, the church over there bought the materials at cost, and the church in Vietnam built the houses for these tribal women. And they're maybe the size of a double garage, but they're solid, solid built, and they're not going to blow away or wash away. And they're so proud of their homes. Hang on to this one now, okay? They're so proud of their homes. Um, they've got a deed now, and the government can't mess with them. 
They've got a deed. There's 56 altogether counting the kids. And there was 25 homes built in a residential area with a common well that was dug for them. So they're a community. Praise God. This is the woman. I didn't trip over anything, did I? I apologize for that. I think I touched the, the uh, antenna. Please forgive me. This is the woman who, on the bottom there, who led Mike to Jesus when she was eight years old. And she lives in Portland now. What a small world we live in. How strange is that? But praise God, um, we'll all rejoice in heaven together. This is our home in Vietnam in Phan Thiet, which is about five-hour drive up the coast from Ho Chi Minh City. And we get guests. We get YWAM teams. We get pastors that come and stay in our home. We get young people come and stay for a month. Uh, and that can happen. That can happen with your kids if you're interested. My daughter came and spent a month there as an elective for college. There's many ways you can do it, and there are some ministry things we can do. We uh, go to orphanages, and the children know us really well at the two orphanages we go to. One's Catholic, one's Buddhist, but they love us and they know us, and they come to us to sit down and hug us. We don't have to go get them. They come up and sit on our laps. They need love. Love is the conduit. Love is the uh, coefficient. Love is what carries the power of Jesus into the hearts of other people. So when you're praying for people, pray with that love. Jesus will inhabit your praises. He will um, vicariously carry his love into the other people and touch them and heal them. This is our Christmas program. I had uh, four back surgeries. My had a huge kidney stone taken out, and we developed a relationship with the leader of this hospital. This Christmas will be our fourth Christmas where we give presents to the kids, but they hear the parents come. As you can see, the downstairs coming up and the upstairs coming down is plugged. Nobody can even get up and down the stairs to the second floor. They have to use the elevator. They're hearing the gospel, and for the first time, they're putting together why Jesus came and who that little baby is that's in the cradle. They don't have a clue unless they're Catholic, and um, most of the people are not Catholic. So this is great. We share the gospel with them. The kids come and put on costumes. It costs us about $600 to do that each year. And now Angela, hold that one. That's the last one, so please hold it. Angela, she saves money from her sewing, and she's opened up another one of these programs at the provincial hospital. So now we have a private hospital in our city and a provincial hospital, and we're putting on these Christmas programs, all because I had a back problem and I had a kidney stone removed. Two of my doctors are saved, and two of my nurses are saved, too. There is persecution in Vietnam. I'll close now, Dave, if you want to come up. There is persecution in Vietnam. It's still a closed country, as Pastor Dave said. If my wife gets caught in one of her meetings in the morning, she goes right to jail, and I could like to say she does not collect $200 or, or, or get to go back and pass go. It's real. It is real. <laughs> so, hey, amen, amen. Good stuff. So I'm going to do the quick Paul Harvey portion of this, the rest of the story. So as Doug mentioned, uh, Mai has a heart for those folks that live up in the mountains. And for the past number of years, they go for nine months. And while they're there in those nine months, Mai gets up very early in the morning. She gets on her motorcycle and she goes up into the mountains and she preaches the gospel and people come at 2.30 in the morning to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of the communities, the whole community, 
comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Every single person who gives their heart to the Lord receives a Bible, and they will be connected with a local pastor. And so they are doing the discipleship that goes with it. And if, if I'm not thinking, just thinking about the last three tours of nine months that you guys were there, I believe it's over 11,000 conversions to Christ. And so that's just an amazing, amazing work that God is doing. And the fire department supports me. So I, I, I would like to say that 100% of the gift goes to, the, to either the orphans or the bond. They, they legitimately are missionaries self-supported. They don't, any, any support that comes to them, 100% of it goes to purchase Bibles. And so we want to encourage you, they will be out in the foyer this morning, we would encourage you on an individual basis and collectively as a church that we want to support this work and help with the conversion of those Vietnamese family members as well as getting the word of God into their hands. And so we really, really want you to stop by and uh, be a part of this awesome, awesome ministry. Let's say... And there's a place to sign up for the newsletter where you'll get all those same reports. Will you pray with me this morning as we ask God's continued blessing on our family? Father, we love and we give you thanks for Doug and Thank you, God, for long-standing ministry and, God, how you've called them into the ministry. Some miraculous events and, Lord, some phenomenal direction in their lives, your provisions. Lord, will you continue to anoint them? Will you continue to speak and minister in and through them? Lord, will you reach lives with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ where others cannot? Lord, will you open doors that they can go in? Like Cyrus, in Isaiah 45, you said, I will take my anointed by the hand and lead them before the nations. God, will you take Doug and Maya and Angela before the nations? And Lord, may you cut through the bars of iron and the gates of bronze Will you open the double doors before them and grant treasures, riches stored in secret places for your glory and for your Amen. All right. Bless you, brother. Let's give it up for these guys. Thanks. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49. This morning, we're going to take just a few moments as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the Word of God, that we would be challenged by this portion of Scripture. This is Jacob's last words to his 12 sons, and he is going to give prophetic blessing over his kids. And this morning, I want to focus on the first four, really the children of Leah, and it's in these four blessings, if you will, or these prophetic words, I believe that there are some principles that you and I can discover. And it's really in the gospel that these are brought to life. Now, interestingly enough, when we started our study in Genesis, if you remember back a year ago, we talked about how the book of Genesis is divided into 11 sections, and those 11 sections are delineated by these are the generations of. These are the generations of. These are the generations of. And so 11 definitive distinctions. And so this chapter 49, it really is delineating the generations, if you will, of Jacob or Israel as his name was changed by the Lord. 
But early on in our study of Genesis, we looked at that first genealogy, and that genealogy was the generations of Adam. In fact, I think, John, if you can pull those up on the screen, we'll look at these. And the genealogy of Adam lays out for us, if you will, the gospel in the definitions of what each of these men's names are translated or what they mean. And so we have Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And when you take the definitions of their name and you read it in a sentence, it reads this way, man appointed mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing comfort or rest. That's the gospel in the genealogy. So then we come to the genealogy of Jacob, which the 12 tribes of Israel are enumerated some 20 times in Scripture. 20 times in Scripture. We find chapter 49, it is given in a specific manner. But in all of the times, it is either by their order of birth, it's either by their geographical location, it could be by their marching procession. In fact, the, uh, the tribe of Levi would not be included in the mar marching profession, or procession because they don't go to war. It could be by their tribal location when they set up the camp where the tabernacle was and they were under one of four of the major banners, if you will. And so given in different sequences, the interesting part in, in light of Genesis chapter 48, as you would remember as Frank taught last week, in Genesis chapter 48, Jacob said to Joseph and Joseph's two sons who were not fully Israelite, remember Joseph's wife was Egyptian, and so they were quote-unquote half-breeds, but Jacob said, your two sons I am adopting into my family. They will be like Simeon and Reuben and Levi. They will be my sons. And so in reality, the 12 tribes of Israel, it's kind of like a baker's dozen plus one. There's 14 to draw from. And so in those 20 delineations of the 12 tribes of Israel, we find a variety and it's in Revelation chapter 3, the last time that they're delineated, it is given this way. And it's given in this particular order by the Holy Spirit. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now also, when we put the definitions of those names and we read it in a sentence, it is a picture of the gospel. Praise the Lord. He has looked on my affliction and granted good fortune. Happy am I. My wrestling has made me forget my sorrow. God hears me, has joined me, has purchased me, exalted me, adding to me the son of his right hand. The gospel, the gospel. And it's with the lenses or the glasses of the gospel that I want us to look at chapter 49, and these first 12 verses, or the first of four sons. You see, there is a 
relationship that the gospel of Jesus Christ has with you and I in relationship to sin, to sin. And all of us in this room have dealt with sin in our lives. Now, that's not an opportunity to say amen. That's just an opportunity to realize we're all on the same page. We're all on the same page. The Bible says all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm encouraged. We're all sinners. The scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, by way of reminder this morning, Jesus Christ has conquered death, has conquered sin, has triumphed over our adversary, the devil. He is the victor, and he is our king. The scripture says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 that having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The it is a reference to the cross. He triumphed over our adversary and all of the forces of evil through his death and resurrection, the cross. Now, 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church in Corinth said these words. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Well, Jesus gives us the victory over the requirements of the law. Now listen, this is important. Colossians 2, earlier before verse 15, verses 13 and 14 says this, and you being dead in your trespasses, if your faith is not in Jesus, this is where you are right now. The scripture declares that we're dead in our sin and our trespasses. Dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made us alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So if your faith is in Christ today, he's forgiven all of our sin and our trespasses. Thanks be to God. That's epic. It's not in the text. Epic was my word. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. In other words, the law which reveals to us that we are sinners, for I would not know what it was to steal unless the law said, thou shalt not steal. I discovered, oh, you mean if I take something that isn't mine, that's stealing. And the law showed me that I'm a sinner. And so, in need of a savior. You see, no one was capable and no one is capable to abide by the law. Even in your best effort, 
We can't do it. We cannot do it. In fact, no one could do it but Jesus. And so Romans tells us, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. It's made us free. So this is the gospel. The gospel has set us free from the law of sin and death. Thanks be to God. I no longer need to live subject to sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thanks be to God. I don't have to stay there. As a born-again man, as a born-again, as a born-again woman, we don't have to stay under the power of sin. And I believe that this portion in the scripture gives us some insight to a couple different conditions that prevent people from becoming all that God intends. Read with me, chapter 49, verses 1 through 12. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. So he's now speaking prophetically. He is going to bless his kids with prophetic blessing. He says, Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water. You shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi, our brothers, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Father, in the next few moments as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, will you challenge our hearts? Will you enlighten us? 
in light of the gospel, how we might navigate the sin in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said a strong amen. Amen. So three thoughts, three thoughts from these first four boys. We'll see Reuben, we'll see uh, Simeon and Levi linked together as Jacob linked them together, and then we'll look at Judah. The first is, the first point would be the gospel and the covering of sin. Now, there is a double play on the phrase, the covering of sin. You see, man, when he engages in sin, there is a innate feeling of, I need to hide what I have done in error or wrongly. We see it in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And... Their eyes were opened, and in an effort to cover themselves, they found fig leaves and sewed them together to cover their nakedness. And when God was strolling in the garden, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Let me ask you this. Did God not know where Adam was? No, he's God. He knew where Adam was. What a sweet question that he asked Adam. Adam, do you know where you are? Adam, do you see where you are? You see, Adam, when he heard the voice of God in the garden, he hid himself. He and Eve, they tucked behind the trees, and they hid. God, knowing all things, Adam, do you see? Adam, do you see? Sin will cause men, mankind, to do things we thought we would never do. Hide and cover And all of our hiding and all of our covering does not hide or cover because God sees all and knows all. Reuben covered his sin. Reuben covered his sin. Chapter 44 reveals what Reuben did. The scripture tells us what Reuben did. And the scripture tells us that Jacob, his father, knew what he had done. But Reuben never revealed it. He never confessed it, covered his sin. Well, Jacob, in his last breaths, exposed the sin. You see, Reuben had gone up to his father's bed, and he lay with his dad's wife. Bilhah was the handmaiden of one of Jacob's wife and became one of Jacob's wife. And Reuben went in and lay with her. Now many would say that this was an attempt by Reuben to usurp the authority of his father and take the position in an untimely manner. Reuben being the firstborn, He would have had the birthright. He would have had the position when his father had passed. He would have been the head of the house. 
He would have been in that kingly role. And he would have been in that priestly role. But by the arm of the flesh, he went and sinned. And it was unconfessed. Here's what happens. Reuben is not blessed. He's not blessed. Jacob declares, you're unstable as water. Unstable as water. You will not excel. And Reuben loses his birthright. The birthright goes to Joseph. Joseph receives the double blessing. He loses the kingly right. The kingly line is given to Judah. In fact, it says kings would be in Judah's loins. There are kings' future. Remember, that's prophetic saying to the nation of Israel, you will move from a theocracy to a monarchy. There are kings in Judah's loins, the royal line, wherewith our Messiah ultimately comes. Judah became the strong and the most vibrant of all of the tribes. The priestly responsibility that should have been Reuben's was given to Levi. Now Levi, we'll hear about him in a few moments, and he only receives that because of some things that transpired in his life. But those things that should have been Reuben's, he covered his sin, and it prevented him from becoming all that God would have intended Reuben to be. Now, here's in light of the gospel. You and I, thanks be to God, we need not cover our sin because the gospel, Jesus has already covered our sin. It's covered. If your faith today is in Jesus, the Bible says that you are justified. Justified. That means even though you are yet still a sinner, God declares you just. And he says, it's just if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. That's how the Father sees me because he has the lenses of the gospel. And he sees me through the shed blood of Jesus Christ as though I've never sinned. So the remedy for me to become all that God wants me to be and all that God wants you to be, our remedy is in the gospel. And God says, if if we will confess our sins, he is faithful. Say that with me. He is faithful. He is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sin and he will wash us from all unrighteousness. We're later told in the epistles, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Healed. What a great remedy. And the gospel makes provision for that. Jesus makes provision that we could be really related to our Father in heaven. Wow. Can I get an amen? amen. So, hey, if you have sin and you're covering it, and you don't make confession, you don't want anyone to know about it, and by the way, don't feel like you need to call me Say, Pastor, I need to come to confession. <laughs> Confess your sins to your father. 
Find someone who can be a confidant and hold you in an accountability relationship and tell them what's going on in your life. And if someone comes to you and confesses sin, hey, you take it to the Lord also. Don't take it to someone else. That would be called gossip, and then you'd be in a place where you need to confess, right? So hey, don't do that. And don't share, confess things in the way of a prayer request, okay? Oh, we really need to pray for so-and-so. Man, they're involved in all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Don't do that. Right? It's sneaky how the flesh wants to elevate itself. That's what Reuben, Reuben just went right into dad's tent because the flesh wanted to elevate itself. And we do that sometimes sneakily. And our adversary, whom Jesus died on the cross to give us victory over, he's subtle, and he'll prompt us with opportunities to kind of advance ourselves in spiritual ways. Let's not do that, okay? Amen? Amen. Okay. So, the gospel and the covering of sin. Jesus covered our sin. So let's not live less than what God wants to do in our lives. Let's make confession so that we can have birthright, that we can operate in that kingly role, that we can also operate in that priestly role. For we are king's kids, and we are given this ministry of priestly praying for family members and those who have yet to give their hearts to Jesus. Let's not lose that. Can I get an amen? Okay, let's make confession a part of our discipline, our discipline in our spiritual life. Secondly, the gospel and the controlling of sin. Anybody here discover that sin can be quite controlling in our lives? That was puny. I feel all alone. <laughs> Very exposed. It's time for me to con- No, I'm going to confess. It's all of us. Sin can be very controlling. Simeon and Levi, brothers, instruments of cruelty in their dwelling place. In other words, this house, in their house, were instruments of cruelty and instruments of hardness, if you will. He said, let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united in their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. Now we're beginning to understand what's in their heart. Jesus said, if you hate, you've committed murder. What about unforgiveness? What about Bitterness. Doug talked about bitterness and my having this bitterness and literally Jesus reaching down and pulling bitterness out of her life. Here's the thing. If you have bitter waters, all you have to do is go to the scripture to find out what God did with bitter waters. At the waters of Myra, when the children of Israel in the wilderness, they came upon the, uh, uh, this bitter water. They had been three days wandering. They're out of water. They come to this water. They're like excited. I get this image in my mind. The kid's just running down the hill and just diving into the water only to discover that the water was not potable. Imagine having 
the need of water. You've been traveling in the wilderness and the desert in the heat for three days, and you see water, and you're like, oh, the very thing we need, the absolute most next to oxygen is now provided for us. Hallelujah. And then you arrive at the water, and you can't drink it. You were mad before you saw the water. You were frustrated. We should go back to Egypt. Yah, 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 yah. Then you see the water and you're like, you forgot all that stuff. You get to the water. Now you can't drink it. You're even madder. Guy, why would he give us something we can't even use? Ever felt that way? Why would God do this and then add insult to injury? Why? And the people got so angry and they were just mad at God. And Moses began to intercede. And God showed him a tree and said, throw the tree in the water. And the waters of bitterness will become sweet. Folks, the tree is the gospel. It's Calvary. It's the cross. And when we take our bitter waters and we bring it to the cross, he'll, through the gospel, change the hatred of the heart and make something beautiful that he can use in his kingdom. We don't need to be controlled by sin. The gospel has liberated us from the power of sin over us. Listen, the accuser of the brethren... The devil, what does he accuse you and I with when we violate the law? Hey, we're liberated from the law of sin and death. We now are under the law, the jurisdiction of the law of life in the spirit. Hallelujah. I don't have to live there. So I'm not going to go back over here and stand here. Does that make sense? I don't need to be controlled by my sin. I don't need to be controlled by my flesh. The scripture says, hey, if you live, in fact, I wrote this down. Uh, this is Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the things of the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So if you live according to the flesh, what you're doing is I'm just setting my mind on the things of the flesh, and that's where you'll live. And if you live to gratify the flesh from the flesh, you will reap destruction. But those who live according to the Spirit, can I get a come on? Can I get a come on? Yeah, if we live according to the things of the Spirit, of the Spirit we will reap life. Hallelujah. Liberated. Liberated. The gospel breaks the control of sin. Translates us to the control of the Spirit. To be controlled by the Spirit. The gospel, controlled by the Spirit, no longer sin. Finally, <laughs> my wife printed my sermon for me. She says, your final point has one word after it. Judah. Judah. Looking at Reuben, looking at Simeon, looking at Levi. They all had sin. Now, the thing, Reuben's was hidden. Simeon's and Levi's, they just lived openly. 
That was like flagrant rebellion, controlled by the flesh. Hidden, everything looks right, but isn't right. Nothing looks right, and nothing is right. Reuben, or Judah, his sin, categorically, if we could put, you know, tiers of levels of sin, Judah's is the worst. Judah is filled with the lust of the flesh. And he just does what he wants to do. And he chases after fleshly things. His wife dies, and it's time for the shearing of the sheep, and he's like, well, I need some companionship of the female nature. Now, he's lied to his dad. He's lied to his brothers. He's lied. He's done all this terrible, terrible stuff. Now he's going up to the sheep shearer's party, and he decides he wants female companionship. Well, little did he know that his daughter-in-law that he had also lied to, who is a widower, he was supposed to give his youngest son to when he became of age to her as a husband, but he didn't do it because the two previous boys died when they were married to her. He's like, I don't want to lose this one too. So he's like, I'm not doing that. And he goes, and there she also disguises herself, plays the harlot. He has relations with her and he has given away his staff, he has given away his signet ring, and he's given away his ribbon. Similar things that Reuben forfeited. Very similar. Now then, when he hears that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, oh, mercy. I mean, he's unglued. You bring her down here that she would be burned. Anybody ever been judged or felt judgmental? That's Judah. Judah, man, his heart's not right, but when he discovers somebody else's heart wasn't right, he's like ready to throw the book at him. Bring her here to be burned, her life. She comes, and just before, in the midst of the council of elders, she says, before we exercise any judgment, she says, to the one whom these belong, and she casts out a staff and a ribbon and a signet ring. This is the one whose child I am with. Judah sees, and Judah makes full confession. Full confession. He tells of his sin. Now then, Reuben hides his sin, and it cost him greatly. Simeon and Levi live in flagrant disobedience, and it cost them greatly. Judah makes full confession. Here's the beauty. Judah's full confession, it is never brought up again against him, so that when the final blessing is coming, Jacob is able to bless him abundantly. And here's the picture for you and I. In our Christian faith, our sin is already covered. It's forgiven. You've been justified. Your past, present, and future, it's covered. But in the midst of that, because we are still sinners and we sin, God gives us the remedy that we not be bound to that. 
So Reuben, if we're in the Reuben state, and if you're here and you identify with Reuben and you say, I've got some hidden sin, like Reuben, you likely won't become all that God intends for you to be. Your remedy is to make confession. Talk to the Lord about it. Talk to the Lord about it. Confess your sin. I would advise you to talk to someone who can also pray for you, pray with you, and hold you accountable because that's what the Word of God tells us to do. If you're here and you're like Simeon and Levi and you're just living an outward rebellion and you are just controlled by your flesh and you're living that way, you also will have a scattered life like Simeon and Levi. Scattered. Do you know that Levi, they never had an inheritance? Their inheritance were just cities amidst the land that was given. Now, God did something beautiful for Levi because Levi stood with Moses at one point in time. And because of that, they became the priestly line. And that's the grace of God. But if you're living in rebellion and it's outward and people know it and you're a prodigal, hey, come home. Don't stay there. The gospel has provided for you. The gospel has, has provided for me. Let's make confession of that and come running to our Father's arms. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's be like Judah. Though there's a lot of sin and, oh, it can be ugly. Anybody here want their sin publicly exposed? No. Because <laughs> it's ugly. It's ugly. But, man, if we just confess to the Lord confess with our brothers, we can be set free and delivered and receive the inheritance and all of the blessing that God wants in our lives. Does that make sense? Oh, that we would live there. Pastor Dennis, I invite you to come, and I know it's, it's time to be done this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come back up. That last song we sang, and I'm not even sure with the title of that song, Lord, I Need You. Um, anybody here exempt from needing the Lord? No. Listen, if you're here today and your faith is not in Jesus, you've not put your trust in Jesus, and you would like to know that your sin is forgiven, you'd like to know that your waywardness you can move from having control, being controlled by sin, to be controlled by the Spirit, and you can all discover the blessings of God. And you say, I, I want all that in my life. I want that in my life. And I need the forgiveness that God has provided for in Jesus. And you'd like to say yes to the Lord. In fact, why don't we all stand? Will you stand with me this morning? If you're here and you would like to publicly express faith in Jesus, say, I've not done it publicly before. Or I've, I've, today is the first time I'm putting my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. Would you indicate that with eyes open, heads up? Will you just say, that's me, and raise your hand and say, that's me? Just quick look around. Anybody say, I want to put my faith in Christ this morning? Okay. So here's what I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust that all of us are in the family. You may be hidden sin. You may be you may be right, at least 
just rightly in the Lord. You're one of those, I'm sure. If it's hidden, I want to encourage you to just talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Find someone that you can talk with and share what's going on. Sometimes the enemy will say to us, you don't need to say that. You don't need to confess that. You don't need to give that information. What I have discovered is unconfessed sin seems to have power over me in my life. It just seems to have some level of control. So if it's all confessed, the control factor that it has over my life has been broken. And I realize that from walk in the newness of Christ. The obvious one, if you're just an outright rebellion right now, maybe it's one area of your life, maybe it's five areas, I don't know. Maybe it's just an attitude that you have. Hey, other people know it, they'll help you with that. They'll even be able to say, hey, he's talking about you. Or maybe you like hitting your own self and saying, hey, that's me. The beauty is we can come to Jesus. We can come to Jesus and he'll help. Let's not deny it, but let's release it. Confess it and repent of it. And if we're over here, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's all find our way to where Judah was. He made full confession. Though a sinner made full confession and discovered the blessings of God. I'm gonna pray for us. And then Pastor Dennis, would you lead us in this song just once through and we'll be dismissed. Father, in the next few moments as we sing this song, if there's one here who didn't feel comfortable raising their hand, but they'd like to say yes to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that your word says if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe, God, that you raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, Lord, I pray that that one, if there's one here, would make their way, talk with one of us in the front, either myself or Dennis or Matthew, for those of us who have hidden sin. And statistically, there's a large number in a group this size where there's just hidden sin. Some of it might be, oh, so embarrassing. And others would just be like, why are you concealing it? I mean, it's silly. Just let that be broken. Maybe you just talk out of school. I don't know what it is. But you, it's just hidden. Will you make that time? Will you just confess to the Lord? Lord, I'm being... Lord, will you, that outward rebellion where we just, we resist your spirit. We say, no, I'm going to do things my own way. Self-willed, like we see in Simeon and Levi, just self-willed. Lord, will you break that, that we might be controlled by the spirit, your spirit. Seek to gratify the things of the spirit. So, Father, will you help in all of these and that we would come to the place and realize that our greatest asset in our spiritual disciplines when it comes to sin is the confession that we have. Help us, Lord, to live there that we might become all that you want us to become. Lord, we need you. We love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Let's sing. Pastor Dennis.